Hello and welcome to Floods of Justice. This morning we are talking about defunding the police. And don't worry, it doesn't mean what you probably think it means. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev. He is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Here we are. Good morning, Pastor Kevin. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, I've look, got more energy than I, than I thought say, I did. You look like you got some energy this morning. <laughs> you, must have, you must have slept really good during church yesterday. <laughs> That's what it was. Good, solid nap time. <laughs> oh, boy. But um, excited for today. Excited, Always excited to have a guest on the show. So it, nothing against you. No, it's no, not, everything yeah. against me. It's yeah, fine. No. But it's always fun to have a third voice, a third opinion. So this will be... And this is, a, this is a discussion, this is a topic that I've, I'm, I'm interested in because I'm interested in understanding it, and, and I have friends and family on you know, both sides of the issue. Um, so I'm Yeah, it, it's interesting to, um, it, it is an interesting topic and, and something that I've kind of been aware of, you know, but, uh, but obviously in the last month it's just really gotten, uh, it's kind of come to the front and center of things, and there's so many uh, different viewpoints and, uh, um, and people use it for fear. You know, even in the president's uh, rally the other night, he talked about it and and uh, even tweeted about it again this morning and just using it as as uh, uh, to stoke fear in people instead of just trying to listen to what is really being said and listen to um, uh, really to for the need to it. And so with that said, I've got my very good friend, Jenny Alexander, with us. I met Jenny, I don't know now, it's probably been about five or so years ago, maybe longer. it's been like seven. Seven years ago. She was... Um, she was the chaplain at Riverbend uh, Maximum Security Institution when I met her and, and was, and was uh, starting to go on, on death row. And I can tell you greetings uh, from those guys uh, through one of the guys in our church is, uh, is one of the visitors and phone people for KB. And so I, I get to keep up with KB uh, regularly. So I know uh, that they, they, they still think highly of you. And, and, uh, and I miss them. I haven't been there since February. Right. Um, and... Uh, not sure when we're going to be allowed to go back in. I've heard a couple of rumors. One is August, and one is not until there's a vaccine. Um, and so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what that what happens. But anyway, that's where I, that's where I met her, and uh, uh, we began. Fr- we became friends last year. She went to Honduras with our church, and uh, we we got involved in um, um, some prison ministry there. And Jenny uh, is an activist. And when we were in Honduras, there was a lot of protesting going on, and it was about all we could do to keep her out of the protest say well no no this is not your cause <laughs> but we had uh, some interesting experiences uh, down there with that uh, let me just give you a little bit of background about her she is the co-creator of a no excuses prison collective <laughs> no exceptions no i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i even have it written down here i can't read my own handwriting thank you for correcting me it's okay. no exceptions prison collective she travels uh the state and uh, uh really just uh, she's a uh, a prisoner um, advocate, really, and uh, trying to uh, trying to change 
the way things are done in prison. Maybe one of these days we'll come back and have some conversations about your experience at Riverbend, but that may not be, we may not be ready for that one yet. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so she, she's also an ordained minister. She's a pastor, a troublemaker, is what she said, an activist. She has been all over the state uh, protesting. And, you know, I was watching the news the other night following the legislation stuff going on, and, and the headlines was, um, you know, two people removed from the Capitol and then I watched the news, and it two of my friends, <laughs> in, so Ingrid proud. and Jenny, they, <laughs> there so they go, mar- marching down the steps, and, and were, were politely escorted off, <laughs> off, off of the premises. But I was like, yeah, yeah. Have you ever been politely escorted off? So, yeah, I would not call it politely when someone escorts you at the point of a gun. No, no. It's not very yeah, I would, l- little sarcasm on a, on a Monday morning, but... Uh, uh, but anyway, so, and she's also the co-founder of uh, Harriet Tubman House, uh, which you may want to talk a little bit uh, about as well. And in her background, she's a lawyer, so goodness gracious, you are, you are lots of things. Uh, but I think most importantly, she's passionate about the gospel, about the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the memories that I have with her was um, uh, at one of the... Uh, prayer vigils during one of the executions, unfortunately, and her and, and Jenny and I uh, served communion to everyone, and so we partnered up with that, and that's a, that's a sweet memory. Uh, but before we get started, I, uh, this morning I was reading, and uh, um, I reread parts of Ezekiel 34, and I want to read it because I think that it just kind of speaks to where we are today as a country, really, and, uh, and I think even for this topic uh, today. And, and in this passage, the prophet Ezekiel talks about the shepherds of Israel, and you know, I, I, have, I have talked about this passage and used shepherds as meaning religious leaders, uh, but really in the context, is he's writing to the nation of Israel as a whole, and so the shepherds of Israel would be the political leaders, the religious leaders, the economic, it would be all the leaders, and so basically he's talking about the government, uh, really, uh, when he prophesies this, so let me read this very quickly, this is um, Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 6. Uh, and since we, we do say in our opening, you know, looking at the current events from a biblical worldview, it just, just reminds us of where we're coming from. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And again, I think that's the leaders in government, police, everything, and as well as church leaders. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with, with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. In other words, you're becoming wealthy while people are still suffering. Verse, verse 4, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. And then he, listen to this, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. Uh, so they were scattered, you know, so they're out on the streets because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. So I think that applies to our country in a lot of ways, not just churches, but our countries, that, that uh, we are neglecting the people um, who, who, need, who need our help the most and lining their own pockets and unfortunately, that includes politics. It includes, I think, the way we do prisons. It includes uh, the way that we do policing, which is so different than it was uh, really even probably, I know, 50 years ago, but, but it's just so different. So anyway, 
Welcome. It's good. I'll to turn be it here. over to you. Yeah, yeah. just introduce yourself <laughs> a little bit more. Uh, it was funny when you were introducing me. It occurred to me I'm just going to go back and rewrite my bio that I, I get asked for pretty regularly, like you do. And I think I just need to say abolitionist, organizer, gardener. And you can just that's enough. Um, um, I appreciate the invitation to be here to talk about to discuss this topic um, today. And so I my brain just like operates big picture. So um, if you want to guide this a little bit, I'm happy to respond to questions. But like, I will say, um, and this is easy because you're both named Kevin, so I don't actually yeah, have to yeah. remember your name. It's great. <laughs> um, you know, you, you said the topic was defund the police, and don't worry, it doesn't mean what you probably think. Yeah, it probably does, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because I think um, that different people mean different things when they're talking about defunding the police. Um, but you asked me to have a conversation about this, so I'll tell you what I mean when I'm talking about the police. Sure. Um, what I'm talking about is defunding the police and dismantling the police. Yes, I would go that far, and it's going to take this whole conversation mm -hmm. for us to get there and go back and forth about this. Um, and that really scares a lot of people, and I understand that, but you know who it scares? It scares the people who don't ever have to be afraid of calling the police. Right, because sure. their experience, based on their white privilege, has made it such that well, it's okay if they call the police because the police are going to, most of the time, or often, show up and do what they need them to do, like disrupt whatever's happening or take care of something. Or um, They don't have to be afraid of interacting with law enforcement. Um, and that's not true for folks who are black and brown in this country people who are poor, that is not the experience. And if that's not their experience, that is an institution then that none of us should tolerate. Um, and, you know, it's, it's also interesting to me that <coughs> uh, white people tend to think about the police as an organization or people who are here to serve and protect. Right? They were never intended to protect people and to serve people as an institution at their founding. I mean, most, I don't, I still don't understand after, like, information is so freely available now, right? But you have to go looking for it. And one of the things that we're never taught in our history books, of course, is that the inception of the police was to protect property. Specifically, by property, that was to go back and to retrieve and to catch enslaved persons who had left, who had run, who had escaped plantations for freedom, right? Mm -hmm. So the original goal and the original purpose was literally the recapturing and re-enslavement of individuals. They were protecting private property of wealthy white landowners. That's the inception. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of research on this, not, not a whole lot, but I heard, um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Dr. Barber, William Barber, and listen to his, his sermons almost on a weekly basis. Um, and, I, and I've heard him talk about at least part, if not a big part, of the Second Amendment, uh, you know, the right to own guns and the right for the states to set up militia uh, was really uh, so they could go after escaped slaves. Um, and, uh, and, and now it's become, of course, something totally different, but, but at least um, one reason, and, and there was basically a compromise of some kind. I can't remember all the history. A compromise reached so that that Second Amendment went into place um, and, uh, and the people who needed the Southern votes were able to get it because they were they were willing to um, uh, to put that in there, and uh, uh, and from that and and yeah, you know I think back in my lifetime growing up, 
a um, couple of interactions I had with the police um, as a kid, and they were always, you know, we were out on the street, and the, and the police would stop and talk to us, and they were always seen as, as, uh, as they're there to help us, they're, they're friends um, from that. And then when I started more inner city kind of stuff, and you, know, you hear the excuse, well, they sh- you shouldn't run from the police, and it's like, well, yeah, I have come to learn and realize, well, no, that's what you're taught. That's the person who broke into my house in the middle of the night and took my dad away, and if you're acting up, they're, you know, they're going to come get you. Um, and and uh, and so all of a sudden, for me growing up, the police were an ally. For other people growing up, the police are um, are not the ally. No, they're still doing <laughs> you know? exactly what they were intended to do. Yeah, they're still and, fulfilling that. Yeah, and so that and then you know, for me also, because this whole subject, uh, you know, of because um, what I'm interested to hear is <clears throat> if it, if if it means completely defund, then then what's in its place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, what, uh, yeah, because I think that's one of the things that's often left out. They just people just hear. Um, you know, we want to dismantle the police, and they think, well, that's going to be anarchy. <clears throat> We're like, no, 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 there, there's something else uh, that, that is, that's got to come in its place. And I remember, for me, I think the light bulb moment for me in all of this was Ferguson, just watching Ferguson on the news and, um, and seeing the heavy military equipment, and the police look more like the Army. And I, and I remember sitting there watching that thinking, this, this, is, not, this is not right, this is not the United States, that you're going to come after citizens with, um, you know, and, and then <clears throat> this past week, some small town in Tennessee, did you see the article? Some small town in Tennessee was unveiling this huge piece of military equipment that they had gotten for free. And I'm thinking, and it would be like, what in the world are you going to need that for in, in small town Tennessee, This except for the show of force and the fear and so forth. So um, if we can, we can, we can go all over the place, but um, if, if it means, and I think you're right as far as different people mean different things by it, but if it does mean complete dismantling, what goes in its place? Sure. Before we get there, though, can we talk oh, yes. about the police for disagreements yeah, before yeah. we talk about what replaces them? Um, because what you hear you know, from a lot of people are like, well, that's too extreme. What we need is reform. We just need better bias training. We need better de-escalation training. We need all of these things, right? Um, but... I want people to, to not lose sight of the fact that Minneapolis is an incredibly liberal city. Their entire city council is made up of Democrats and Green Party members. Their police department has had all of that training. Right? So it should have been one of the ideal, quote-unquote, police departments in the country where this should never have happened. But not only did it happen, it happened while... A man was slowly <laughs> being murdered, almost nine minutes, mm-hmm. with a cop with a knee on his neck, knowing he was being filmed. There was a reason why, in an incredibly liberal city like Minneapolis, which has also incredible economic disparity, um, this cop knew that he could do it, yeah. and he believed that he would get away with it. And there's a reason for that. I mean, I think that's incredibly important when people just want to talk about reform. Um, like, wait, <laughs> this is what we get when we still had reform. The majority of killings by cops last year, and actually over the past th- three years, they've been wearing body cameras. So people talk about body cameras. Well, body cameras aren't helping anything. That's not stopping it. In fact, body cameras only increase the number of people who are charged with crimes, and they 
they increase the number of charges each person incurs, generally speaking. So those are those are a, a tool of DAs, actually. So we've been led to think, oh, well, this is a progressive step. Well, it doesn't stop killing, and it only increases arrest and prosecutions. So those aren't helpful either. Um, and then I'm thinking about Breonna Taylor, you know, yeah. right, right, right next door in Kentucky, really close to all of us. And the amount of power and authority to go in with a no-knock search warrant Plain closed. Don't, don't uh, introduce who you are. Right. Don't announce your police in the middle of the night. It was midnight. He used a battering ram to enter the apartment. Right where there were no drugs were found. Mm-hmm. She was shot eight times. And when you look at the police report, at the, at the end of the night after they've murdered this woman, they indicate she had no injuries and that no force was used to enter the apartment. Right, yeah. and, and these are not two ab- aberrant cases. I mean, this is what we <coughs> see over and over again. So yeah. when you talk about what are we going to do if we defund the police, what the hell are we going to do if we don't? Yeah. And, and it's what you also just said, Kevin, I think is so important. It's the militarization of the police force. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's one of the things that we've just become accustomed to seeing now, it seems almost normal, is seeing militarized police in our streets. And it seems normal to see police who are militarized using tear gas and rubber bullets against people exercising their First Amendment freedoms. I mean, everyone I know in my network in multiple states has been tear gassed in the past few weeks. We've all been tear gassed. Yeah, and tear gas, and for those who don't know, <laughs> tear gassing is, you can't, you can't use that in war. You know, so we, and so it's against the, whatever group out there, United Nations or whatever, put together, this is what... It, you can do in war. Yeah. This is what you can't. Tear gas, you can't yeah. use. And so what is, what is against the international code to use on enemies is being used on our, on our own people. And, um, and when, when it's peaceful protest, you know, yeah, sometimes the protests may get a little aggressive, but it's peaceful protest, and the protesters have nothing in their hands. Um, and, uh, um, and then that, that is used back. Uh, against them it's just it's just it's just odd to me like I, I was telling my wife even last night because we were talking about some of this and uh and I said you know I've had I haven't had the same conversation with my kids that African-Americans have with their kids but I've to the extent but I've had similar I've told both of my kids when they were mainly in their in their early 20s that look if you're out late at night early in the morning um you know the vast majority of traffic stops are illegal um but if you get pulled over all they're looking, they want to they run your license and they want to look in your eyes and see if you're drunk. That's, that's why they're pulling you. They're going to make up an excuse, but that's what they're doing. So just, you know, I've tried to tell them just, you know, be calm. You know, and I want to tell them, <laughs> in, my, in my flesh, I want to say, don't let them search your car. But then I know what happens if you say no. Then they're just going to keep you there for hours until they can, you know, get all that, all that stuff situated. And, um, and, and, it's, and it's happened to them a couple times, um, both of them. It's happened to, and, uh, and they were... They seem to be thankful. They they remember what I said. Just, you know, just and and yeah. regardless of what they got pulled over for, they didn't get a ticket. Right. You know. So, and uh, I rem- one of the instances they told my daughter that the light over her license plate was out, and that's why they pulled her over. And uh, but anyway, so you see that, and you see um, again for me when I saw them. You know, even here in my own town, I, there's I, there's been a couple of um of uh, police ex- well police exercises and drug busts where they've had out the big machinery. And I'm like, why is that about? And then I was on, um, I was in a leadership group, leadership Franklin. And, and one day was 
Justice Day or whatever, and we went out to talk to the police and the sheriff. And uh, the thing they wanted to show us and demonstrate was basically the SWAT team and the high, all this. And everybody was in awe of that. And I was like the only one. And I, and I even brought it up. I was like, well, this is not, why are we, why are we, <laughs> why are we proud of this to see all this? Mili- and, and um, you know, I would assume if your police officer get on the SWAT team is a, uh, is a compliment, is, you know, it's kind of like what you, you know, that, that's a goal you set for yourself and all that. Um, but it's just, it's just troubling to, to see what that is. But, um, and also back to, you know, the uh, Castile, Mr. Castile, that was, that was in Minnesota, right? And was it Minneapolis also, or was it just another place in Minnesota? I'm trying to remember where that was. So, that yeah. yeah, so the George Floyd thing wasn't mm-hmm. an isolated case even in Minnesota. Right. You know, because it just a few years earlier you had this body cam where, and not only the body cam, but then the girlfriend with the camera where yep. every, and uh, I don't think that guy was there. I don't think that police officer was ever charged. Oh. Well, uh, no one's with been charged with <coughs> Breonna Taylor's murder. Not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, that, that, I think that's where people get, um, you know, if you, if you see it, and then I think, you know, with you being involved in prison reform and out there in the doing justice work, uh, you see it, you see the abuse, you see the mistreatment. Um, and whereas most people, I think, they don't see it and they only, they only call the police the only interaction they have on the police is when they is, is when they need them, and so it kind of skews uh, the reality of what's going on. Well, like yeah. with, with Minnesota, what are your thoughts on? Because it sounds like you describe the the system and the training that they have, but it doesn't seem like they're using the training or the systems that they have. So a, a difference between like the reform, you know, in in words, we can say yes, this is our this is our policy, but if it's not followed, like right. the officer that who put his knee and knee on his neck. He had 17 inf- in complaints. He had 18 complaints, 18? and they had a community oversight board, and none of those mm-hmm. complaints had never been followed up on. That's right. why he knew that he could get away, or he thought he could get away with murder. Right. So it's one thing having, or, you know, <laughs> saying you've got reforms, but not following reforms, and right. then defunding, like, you know, so these varying degrees of, all right, we can, we can defund, we can partner with reforming, but if you don't even follow the rules that you're saying right. are the reform, What's the point? Right. So what's, what's the answer? Right. I don't know what your thoughts well, are. Well, and I also think this goes back to, yeah, so the answer, right. But I think this goes back to what you were just saying. One, really quick, you know, the talk that you had with your children, right, that you could have, right, it could be effective. If you were the parent of black children, mm-hmm. there's not a damn talk you could give them that would keep them safe. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's, like, literally nothing, yeah. right? And so, it, so why are people running? Don't run if you don't have anything to hide. Running may be your only chance of saving your life. Yeah. Right? I mean, and that's just reality, too. I mean, um, you're saying your, your description of the police just now, right? And you went to see the SWAT team, and they have all this heavy equipment, right? Um, they're dressed all in black these days, and they come out, and they meet. If any, any sort of resistance, any sort of protest is met often now with the full riot gear, the black helmets, like the... Um, they're all headed to black, you know, and they've got all the shields, and they've got this heavy... And I'm thinking about this, the way we've seen that even just visual, like, transformation and what that looks like. And at the same time, we're living in a country where the term anti-fascist, all of a sudden, anyone who is anti-fascist is a threat, right? We have, I mean, Trump is on TV with commercials, re-election commercials, targeting people who are anti-fascist. So my, grand, my grandfather fought in World War II. He was 101st Airborne, right? Yeah. And it occurred to me that if you could show those commercials and listen to the rhetoric, right, of uh, how dangerous and how frightening anti-fascists are and going on and on and on, 
along with visuals mm -hmm. of what the police look like in our streets today. And if you could go back in time and show that to an American soldier, I think in 1942, and tell them it was from 2020, I think they would presume that we had lost the war. Not only yeah. did we lose the war, but that fascism had certainly spread to the United States. And I do think that that is what we're dealing with today. I think the longer we refuse to talk about the fact that we are in the midst of a rise of fascism in this country, that's incredibly dangerous. <laughs> yeah, Just you know, it's interesting to me how, I mean, we should all be anti-fascist. I mean, right. <laughs> Who so, is an anti-fascist? Yeah. So, so it's really interesting <laughs> Except how... Except the president. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting how that, how that has been labeled uh, a... a uh, yeah. A, a, bad, a bad thing, you know, and it's like, well, no, that's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, World War II was all about, well, we were, we were anti-fascist in World War II, yeah. that's why we did what we did, right? And so it's just odd that that's kind of yeah, yeah. flipped over and taken on, an, on, a, on, a, on a new meaning uh, yeah, from I that. Someone, a friend the other day, say, wow, this is like 1968. I said, no, my friend, it is not. This is like 1930s in Europe <laughs> and America. This is not 68. This is, but, but yeah, so, so, so what do we do, right? If we aren't, aren't going to have the police. Like, so there's this idea that there's like this binary. Either we have the police and we're safe, or we don't have the police and there's anarchy, and we know we, we aren't safe with the police, you know, um, or at least some of our, our neighbors and our loved ones and so that's just not going to work. But think about what the police respond to, right? It's absolutely absurd the things that they are sent out to deal with at the point of a gun, right? So if you're dealing with someone who is, um, if you've got someone who has a mental health crisis happening, the last thing you should ever do is call the police, right? This goes back, you know, I was thinking about this um, on my way here, going back to my days working outreach for folks who are unhoused. And, Kevin, I mean, you've seen this so many times. Folks who are um, in the midst of a mental health crisis, you know, or someone who has, like, a, a dual diagnosis, right, of both addiction and, and mental health issues, um, who's decompensating, the police only ever escalate the situation. I have never once seen cops de-escalate a situation like that. And the answer is to always arrest someone and take them to jail. I mean, there's a reason why jails and prisons are, are the number one mental health care provider in this country. And they utterly fail at it. Yeah, and they're, not they're their, the number one homeless shelter also. They absolutely, right? I mean, and you've got, like, you know, Darren Hall in Nashville who loves to just, like, crow from the rooftops, you know? It is not my job. You know, mental health care is not my job. But this is it's, it's unfair to ask us to do this, and this is not what we're for. And still, right? His budget never decreases, even though we are seeing some de decarceration in the jails in Nashville, yeah. and he gets more funding for mental health care in the jails. Like, so I mean, I was just I was at City Hall this past Tuesday night, um, in the midst of that. What I call it because I can't use the word I actually want to. Um, sham of the government. I mean, taking place in at, yeah. at the budget, and you know, I mean, there were demands from people like to cut funding. Right? Stop yeah. funding the police and the jails the rate and start putting the money where it should go. Right? So you've got someone who is trained, right, is in crisis training. Like, this is what I, I was able to, um, working homeless outreach, and we have fantastic outreach workers in, in the city right now who are able to de-escalate mm -hmm. with no weapons, with no badge, with no uniform, and it's based on relationship. It's based on understanding and not being frightened of someone who's decompensating and actually being equipped to do it, that that's what you're trained to do. 
doesn't require a gun. It doesn't require the ability to take a person who needs help and put them in a cage, right? So, I mean, and we can take that and we can play that out. Why, why in God's name, do we need police who we know can't be trusted to pull cars over without shooting and killing people in them, even who have their hands on their steering wheel, um, to tell us we've got a tail light out, right? right? You know, the, you know like, so if you get a, if you're parked at a meter downtown and you get a ticket at the meter, right? The person writing that ticket isn't armed. They're not right. a cop, right? Yeah. You could have the same sort of thing. And if you see someone who has a tail light out or their tag is expired, you can go unarmed, not mm-hmm. a cop, and say, hey, your tail light's out. And guess what? Here's a place you can get it fixed. And if you can't afford to fix it, I could call somebody like Emergency Roadside Service or something. We can fix your tail light, right? There are responses to all of this, almost every single thing. And, I mean, we could sit here and think about every agency or individual or professional who could respond to all the different things that police are called to do. Um, and, I, and I think that's in- incredibly important to do and just to understand that we have used the answer of violence because that's what it is. I mean, when, when you are forced, no matter what's happened, when the police show up, the answer, I mean, there's always violence there. They interact at the point of a gun with the threat of putting you in a cage or possibly killing you. Yeah. You know, that cannot be our answer um, to all these situations. And moreover, it fails to, I mean, we also do it because... <laughs> Um, we're not, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, elected officials, that's the other thing, people will say, well, just vote and change this. We'll clearly go back to Minneapolis, they're all Green Party and Democrats, that's not changing anything, yeah. right? They're not held accountable. And, the, and we are not addressing systemic issues. That's what we're not funding. We're more than happy to throw money to guns and ill-trained and, Ill pre- and folks who are ill-prepared to deal with, like, crisis situations, but we won't fund like what would actually deal with the crisis in our communities at a roots level, right? I mean, so the Barnes Housing Trust right, was cut by millions of dollars. They took millions of dollars away from that housing trust, right? And gave the police another $2 million just Tuesday night, right? So right. They, they're hearing from thousands of people who say, you've got to take money with the police. We want you to reallocate that funding elsewhere and in a quote-unquote liberal city like Nashville couldn't even get that done. Let's take a break. Um, We'll come back and talk more. The Floods of Justice podcast is brought to you by the Coffee House at 2nd and Bridge. Since 1904, they have stood at the corner of 2nd and Bridge Street in the heart of downtown Franklin. Their house-made menu items are crafted with care and love. Baked goods are made from scratch each morning, and specialty coffee is always ground and brewed fresh. So come on down, wander the rooms, join us at the coffee bar, and find a space to enjoy the food, the drink, and maybe even a recording of the Floods of Justice podcast. Welcome back. We've been discussing uh, defund, the pe- the defund the police, the literal meaning of it, our current situation in the country, talking about systemic issues. Um, I've, on the way to here this morning, I was kind of trying to wrap my brain around why, why are people so opposed to, to change and all. I want to get your thoughts, and this is just a, a theory that I'm kind of forming as I speak, but looking at our country, it seems, it seems we are so nationalistic. There's a view of America is the best country in the world. Because we're the best country in the world, we must be doing everything right. And so then to look at the evidence and to say, well, America's the only country doing this, or there's other countries that are doing this, there's like op- opposition to, well, no, that can't be a better 
option because we're America and, and we're doing it the best. So whatever it is, is we're handling mental illness the best. We're handling incarceration. We're handling police. But, and we're opposed to the change because you can't possibly be doing it better because we're America and we do everything the best. And I, I may be oversimplifying that, but it seems like there's a lot of pushback on just any level of change is, well, we can't possibly be wrong. And maybe that's just human nature is, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. So that country is wrong. Their way of, you know, like in London, the police don't carry firearms. The majority of calls that come for the everyday situations are an officer that is not armed. If there's a situation that requires being armed, then there's a crew that is sent deliberately for that. But again, I'm just kind of looking at the big picture is why, why are we so opposed to, to change? If something is not good for a, a, a large group of people, why are we opposed to changing it? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah. philosophical situation. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally hear you agree with that. Um, because, um, I mean, America has become an idol. I mean, just this, no, this nationalism, right, is the golden calf. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, if you want to know who someone's God really is, right, look around. I mean, in, in this, oh, in this wedding of American nationalism and current Christianity, this vein is just revolting. I mean, I just cannot, I mean, it's just, um, it's idolatrous. It is worshiping literally a concept of America, number one, that isn't even real. And it's yeah. never existed. Make America great again. Well, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. um, and two, it is just. I mean, <laughs> you know, there are there are churches in this town in Nashville that I have been in. Um, I won't name Cornerstone, um, <laughs> but have been. <laughs> and uh, sorry, I'm gonna eat trouble, Kevin. But you know, there's not a cross anywhere. But there's a damn flag the size of a football field. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean. What are you really worshiping here? Like, what version of Jesus are you talking about? Like, where this? Are we talking about this, um, this radical right rabbi, this person in occupied Palestine whose people are fighting because they've got the boot of the Roman Empire on their neck? All right, what what does that have to do with this Pax Americana? Right, that we're kind of living. That we're you know, I mean, that's. Yeah, so I think there's this huge disconnect. First of all, I, which, yeah, um, I'm not sure what this Christian nationalism is or what it has to do with, well, I know what it is, but I don't know what it has to do at all with the teachings and the life of Jesus and Nazareth. Yeah, the, the prophets are pretty clear on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On that. Uh, Micah is, uh, and Amos are very, very clear on, uh, I think, on, uh, on nationalism and then the, uh, basically the futility of your worship, you know, the futility of your of your big programs and big budgets when you're not uh, when you're not caring for the poor, and um, you know, and and Ezekiel Ezekiel's interpretation of Sodom and Gomorrah is completely different than most evangelicals' interpretation of Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel says the reason God destroyed you was because you were overfed and arrogant and did not take care of the poor, yeah. and. Um, so sodomy is is being overfed, having more than you need, arrogant, and not taking care of the poor. That's what sodomy mm-hmm. is. Um, but and so that's you know, and so that that's kind of where we that's kind of where we are. Um, where we don't want to change um, because it will all of a sudden, like like even here in Franklin, about the time I was moving to Arkansas is when they were building the police, uh, the new police headquarters, which is just unbelievable. I mean, it's top of the line, all that kind of stuff. But, but there was a controversy flurrying, and I left town, so I didn't really get involved in it. 
because of where they were putting it, because they were putting it right behind really the you know one of the few lower income sections in Nashville. That's where in Franklin, that's where they put the the police. So it's literally in everybody's backyard, uh, as, and and the people who. Um, and, and there was, you know, I, I missed that struggle. So where, where do you put these things? Um, but I think also then it's hard to change because somehow or another, I think if you're in the dominant group, if there's a change, that change means that I'm giving up something. You know, so if I'm going to change this, then, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm giving up. I may not ever have to call the police, but I want to be able to call the police um, if, uh, if this happens in my neighborhood. And if it, so if it's defunded, now all of a sudden I can't. What I do, and the situation I, I thought of this situation there a, a couple years ago, um, there was a guy in the neighborhood where our community center is uh, who had a um, um, psychotic break, basically a mental breakdown, and and uh, it was and the police came, and so I walked down there, which which um, I usually do if, if I see the police around, I'll walk down because there's been a few times just me going there kind of de-escalates things, not because of me, but because the people in the community know me and the police know me, and so it just kind of yeah. it, it kind of just helps diffuse it, and so. And, and this young man I knew. And, uh, and so I went up, and, and one of the police officers, I said, well, I know him. Can I talk to him? They said, yes. So I went up to try to uh, see what was going on, and he was just, um, um, well, it was just a psychotic break. I mean, he was, he was seeing things and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and the police were backed away, and they tried to let me handle it. And, and uh, things, but, but he knew, and he would, you know, all of a sudden he took out something and pointed at the police because they, they didn't have their guns drawn, but they had them you know, and all that. Um, and, and, uh, and so after about 30 or 45 minutes talking to this person, this one police officer said, we're going to ask Pastor Kevin to move back a little bit. And they, and I knew what that meant. That yeah. meant, okay, in about two or three minutes, if this guy doesn't, the ambulance was there. So in about two or three minutes, if this guy doesn't voluntarily go to the ambulance, they're going, they're, they're getting him. And I was like, oh no. Thankfully it didn't work out that way. He went and, and freely got on the ambulance and, and, uh, and went and got some help. But that. I was like, it scared me to death when they said that. Mm-hmm. When they said you have to move back now, um, and because I, I knew the countdown, the count. Okay, we this has gone on long enough, you know. And uh, and and again, thankfully, it didn't. Nothing happened. But but it's like, okay, that just the in my mind, just the idea of the guns being there is, is was was unsettling. When right. it could have been, you know what? If it takes a couple hours for this guy to calm down and. And uh, um, and come back to some sort of reality so that we can get him help. Let it take a couple of hours. I mean, forty, you know, thirty, forty-five minutes may or not be may or, may or may not be enough. And so, but again, that that outcome had a good outcome. But yeah. but I can remember just the tenseness, especially when they told me to move back. That tenseness, I was like, oh no, this is about this is about to get bad. Yeah, and also probably that tenseness. I mean, because of knowing you, I bet that. There was also, for you anyway, that thought of, am I going to move back or not, right? Because I would say the answer, that yeah. I would argue an a- the answer to that, knowing what you know about police in the situation is, oh, no, it, I would have kept, I mean, you it, just, there. It, it I became, mean, you know, please, please go with like, him, please, yeah. please, <laughs> please, I'm begging <laughs> you. I can't move. Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's about to take an ugly turn um, yeah. if, uh, if it doesn't, but. But yeah, but the whole time I was there, I mean, the ambulance was called, but yep. no psychiatrist was called. No, no, you know, um, and, and you were able to, you were <laughs> able to facilitate that de-escalation because of relationship. Yeah, right, and yeah. not, yeah, I mean, it, it was relational, and you know what? And if it took two hours to de-escalate someone for them to go to the hospital, 
that's worth it. Yeah, that's, I mean, what, again, what, what's two hours over exactly. the course of a lifetime, right? Right, and pos- exactly, you know, and possibly this person's death. Yeah, but in that moment in time, I, I, there was a time limit uh, uh, put, <laughs> you know, put on that. And uh, but anyway, so I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, nationalism is nationalism is what brought Hitler to power. Yeah, um, and one of the things that's been bothering <clears throat> me, and I've when I've had time, I've tried to do research was that, and I try to tell people, look, in in Germany, the German evangelical church stood with Hitler uh, until it was too late. And, um, and there are books and commentaries that I read going through college and seminary um, that are classics in the evangelical world. That, I mean, there are biblical tools that if you're an evangelical pastor, you have these books in your library. And no one ever told me that Dr. Kittle was a Nazi. You know, and, and I'm like, you got to be kidding. Why is this guy's, yeah, it's a helpful tool, but he stood with, he stood on the wrong side of that because um, it was, let's make Germany great again. Um, let's, let's, you know, he's going to return us to something. And so the evangelical church, and, and so you had the confessing church, which, which Bonhoeffer was a part of, that broke away from that. And then Bonhoeffer and other leaders in the confessing church were put in the, uh, were put in the, in the prison because of their stand against Hitler. And, and some of them, didn't die like hit like Bonhoeffer did, but um, but but this small and so it's like I want to be I want to be make sure I'm in that confessing church, not in that in that church that just blindly following this guy because he's promised to uh, to put conservative judges in place or or do these things. It's like well, you got to be kidding me. That's not you know it's 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 not worth my soul to uh, to 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 do that. And uh, and here we are. What, and here we are, we are where we are, and, and it goes back to nationalism, which to me, nation, in the United States, nationalism just simply means being a Christian and being a, a good American are, are, are the same thing. Right. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing, and so I'm going to worship, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm worshiping Jesus, but I'm worshiping um, the, uh, the country. And again, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel never, never just abandoned God. They wanted to, they wanted to practice their belief in God, but then they took on all these other things as well you know and part of it was power we need a king like everybody else and the whole time they were doing all these things that would have been nationalistic uh, as the children of Israel they would have still told you we're following God you know and so and and so that's why it's so hard to get people to break away Um, I I wrote a blog years ago that kind of described it as a divorce that that as Christians we need to we need a divorce from our country because because it has just become it's just become one in the same, and divorce is and divorce is painful, and 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 people just aren't aren't wanting to do that. But anyway, I've said this is your no yeah, yeah. no no this is your no. I mean, you've heard me rant about catacomb Christians versus Constantinian Christians, right? Yeah. Where the state has co-opted um, a belief system, and yeah, I mean, I would you know um, challenge some of uh, your listeners who probably be appalled by this, but I don't think that you can be a follower of Jesus and Nazareth and say the pledge of the flag. You right. can't pledge allegiance to a flag. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not, and, and, but also I want to go back to something you said. I think that's so important about um, education, right? Uh, seminary education and theological education, right? And, um, and the things like that were never, depending on where you go, right? I mean, particularly 30 years ago that folks were never taught. I mean, a lot of people weren't talking about Bonhoeffer and didn't, but think about that, right? Um, and thinking about the confessing church and where is that in America mm-hmm. today, Right, and, and that is, and I do think the comparison 
to Nazi Germany is absolutely fair based mm. on what we're seeing. I mean, think about the fact that uh, what would ICE be in Nazi Germany, right? I'm like, we, we have camps. We are literally rounding up families and children. There are children who are traumatized now to the point they're probably never going to be okay again. We have camps with families in it, right? Mm -hmm. And we have a president that talks about people, right, as all murderers and rapists and vermin and animals. What the hell is going on? And we've and why are we, and, and this question goes to me too, so it's not anyone else, why are we all not outside those camps and literally tearing down the walls with our hands? Like, respectability, politics, and politeness are costing people their lives. I mean, we have camps. <laughs> like, you know, we have a militarized police. We have a president that's, that's afraid of anti-fascist. You know, anyone who doesn't understand where we are and what time it is, like one minute before midnight yeah. has got to have their head in the sand and has got to just be willfully ignorant at this point and are terrified of the disruption and the uprising that I think is absolutely essential. Yeah, and, and, and obviously we're seeing that. And, um, and it's been, to me, the, the protests have been fun to, um, I mean, I've been involved in a few of them, but it's been fun to watch. And I don't mean fun like, yay, this is a lot of fun, but it's just uh, th this massive amount of people um, not just in the United States, but now around the world, um, who are who are protesting and uh, and extremely um, peaceful about it. I mean, they're they're letting their voice be heard. They're doing things, um, but but you know that that <laughs> that next step will be to to tear down to physically uh, take things matters in your hand and tear down and tear down things. Um, and uh, and and we see that. I mean, we've seen some of that, but it's. Uh, you know, but I'm thinking, okay, what would these? If you want to talk about history, most of the people who are anti-protest, where would they have been in 1776? You know, because that was basically what we were, what our country yeah. did was, you know, well, we, the we, majority of people though set that out. Honestly, it was a small minority. Yeah, yeah I know. But yeah, yeah but you know, the, but Bo yeah, the Boston exactly. Tea Party would be equivalent to burning down a business. I mean, you were taking what you could sell as profit and throwing it away, mm -hmm. and so you were hurting the community. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what. You know now, but now in our minds, they're heroes. You know, I mean, because they're the, they're the they're the quote founding fathers, or, or at least you know they got they got the thing going. So now that we do have a, a I feel like they think they're heroes because of the end nation, yeah, that has existed that exi that has existed that benefits me that doesn't necessarily yeah. benefit other people. Yeah, well, and it was never intended to. Exactly, it was created yeah. not to. It, right. <clears throat> so yeah, yeah, oh, it's it's so great for me, and I think. Yeah. I feel like that's part of the opposition to to change or or a challenge of it. And I'm I'm really struggling with this because I'm like, <clears throat> people are, are blatantly, like you said, ignoring facts. You can lay out the facts. Our president just flat out ignores facts or calls them fake, fake news. news. Yeah. So we're in a situation where you go, okay, would you? <clears throat> and this is this is one of those questions of would you support change if it didn't directly benefit you but benefit other people? And that's, I, I feel like that's a big situation in our country, is defunding the police or reforming the police may not change my reality a whole lot, but it could change the, the life for other people. So would I be willing to, to do that as a, as a white person to go, hey, <clears throat> this drastically needs to be changed and addressed immediately, and I may not see the benefits of it as much as somebody else, if not at all. 
But I should be willing to do that, especially as a believer, to go, I love my neighbor as much that if they're being, if there's a knee on their neck for 400 years in this country and I can make a change that is going to change that for them or support a change or, you know, however you want to word it. I don't know if I'm making sense mm-hmm. in what I'm saying. There. Yeah, no, that's, that's the Christian. Is. That's the Christian perspective. You know, do, do unto others what you want them, what you want done unto you. So if I if I'm benefiting from this, then I need to, you know, okay, I, I'm I'm willing to give up some of my benefit or a lot of my benefit in order to benefit someone else who hasn't had that same, uh, ha- hasn't had that same privilege um, that uh, uh, that that I have. But yeah, it, this is an extremely complicated. I mean, it, it's not complicated as far as what needs to be done. It's complicated. How do we get there? That's where the complication lies. It's like, you know, I had a discussion with the pastor about the death penalty. And, uh, and, and he said, you're just against the death penalty, period, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, it's more complicated than that. And I was like, no, it's not more complicated than that. This is what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. The complication is, Absolutely. Is, is getting there. So, you know, this is what needs to be done. But now the complication is how do we do that? How do we, um, how do we get there. Right. I mean, and that's what I mean. That's why I say we have incredibly lazy government. We have government that's that's capitalistic centered, right? I mean, the whole right, and and it's that the idea that we have to reinvent the wheel or understand how this could possibly work and what it would look like is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, transformative justice is messy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've lived in a country for so long now where the dominant powers are corporate powers and corporate interest. Um, when we aren't our brother's keeper. You don't love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Um, and so that is an utter transformation. Um, and I think nothing short of that will do. And is it hard? Yep. Mm-hmm. Get busy. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's what we're called. Well, there's a phrase, it's only hard. Like, it's hard, it's but it's hard. only yeah. hard. Yeah. It's not impossible. It's, it's a lot harder, you know, to keep dying. It's a lot harder to not be able to give any talk to your children that may actually save their lives. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot harder to have a damn knee on your neck. That's what's Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a good way to stop. Yeah. Right, now it's time for the offering. <laughs> and <we'll laughs> But thank well, you so much, Jenny. I appreciate you. Thank um, you. I, 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 uh, I love following you on Facebook and seeing, well, where is she now? What, what's she up to? What's she up to now? Because you're, you're one of... Um, uh, God's servants that were your place to where you can really, really be um, uh, out there on the front lines. I wish I could be more out there uh, from that. But uh, uh, so safe travels wherever you're headed to next. Thanks, and, God. Uh, Appreciate keep, it. Yeah, keep uh, just keep going, keep, keep speaking out, keep uh, keep fighting, and uh, um, you know I just I just appreciate you a lot. Thanks. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.